It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. It's fitting that on Halloween, we would get a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde game from the Sacramento Kings. A terrible first half, a great second half, two wins in a row, and I have four player of the game awards to give out for four very different reasons. It's all right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome to Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all regular season and all off season today presented by Bet Online. They have you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News. And it's always fun doing a show, a victory edition of Locked on Kings. Now two wins in a row for Sacramento, ending their uh, homestand with a win over Miami, starting their four-game road trip with a win over a shorthanded Charlotte Hornets team that was without their best player in LaMelo Ball. However, as we've grown to expect with Kings basketball, at least recently, that doesn't mean anything. Or if anything, it means that the Sacramento Kings are going to have a tougher time because when stars are out, typically role players step up in a major way. And a lot of teams look at the Sacramento Kings as the perfect opponent to play when you're down a man or two. They always look at the Kings as a get-right game. And I guarantee you that the Charlotte Hornets, who I believe are 3-3 three and three heading into this game, not the best of starts compared to what expectations are there in the Eastern Conference for Charlotte, they looked at Sacramento as an opportunity, especially at home, for them to get right, for them to improve. And they came out of the gate in the first half looking like it. They came out with a confidence, even though they were without LaMelo Balls, like, okay, we know we can beat this team. We're on our home floor. Let's push the tempo early. Let's kind of step on the gas, put our foot on the, uh, the King's throats early. They did that. And what frustrates me the most out of this game, and in a weird way, we're going to start with a negative 
uh, with the negatives from this game. We're going to start really looking at this first half before we get into the positives of the second half and the four player of the game awards I have to give out. But what is most frustrating to me about the first half of this game for the Sacramento Kings, it's not that the Kings were outscored 67 to 52, although that's plenty frustrating. It's that the Kings, for some reason, can't seem to put together or carry into this performance, at least in the first half out of the gate. They couldn't replicate what they did so well in their only win of the season against Miami. The defensive intensity, the focus on the defensive end of the floor, buying in, communicating, playing with effort, that was nowhere to be seen in this first half. And I know this grinds Kings fans' gears. It makes them want to pull their hair out more than anything else. When you see that there is a roster of NBA players that is capable of playing better than what they show consistently. They're far more capable of playing significantly better defense than what we saw in the first half of that game. Hell, we saw it only 48 hours or so ago against the Miami Heat, who are definitely, in my opinion, a better team than Charlotte with better weapons than Charlotte. Sacramento played better defensively against them, were more locked in defensively out of the gate against Miami, and then, of course, to close the game against Miami than they were at any point, really, in that first half against Charlotte. Why is it that, regardless of head coach, regardless of players, so many times the Kings will do something right and then fail to carry it over into the next game? Now, I see and, and hear some people saying, well, yeah, Matt, the, the opponent is different, so the, the offense that the Kings are facing is different. Yeah, that's a variable, but that variable does not affect or impact or should not affect or impact the effort and communication that a team plays with defensively. It has nothing to do with that. The schemes you face are going to be different. Who you guard, who you match up with, going with a 2-3 zone on a team that struggles to shoot. Those are things that you adjust. Those are strategies that you implement based off of the opponents that you're facing and their strengths and weaknesses. But effort and communication, those are two things that every defense, every team should have regardless of who they're playing. They should have that if they're going through drills five on zero. If they're just doing walkthroughs, they should have effort and they should have communication. And when those things are lacking for the Kings like they were in that first half, it's inexplainable. It's not okay. There are multiple occasions where the Kings were just flat out not rotating hard enough and there was miscommunication on switches, especially in the pick and roll. A lot of players were getting isolated, having to choose between guarding one guy or the other and it left someone open and it usually resulted in a bucket for Charlotte who shot 60% from the field in the first half, 53% from three-point range. They had 22 assists in the first half. 22 assists and 32 points in the paint. The Charlotte Hornets did to the Kings inside what the Kings did to the Miami Heat inside last game. That's inexcusable, especially for a team that we know we've seen. We just saw the game before, a couple nights earlier, play better. Now, I didn't expect this team to, after a win, suddenly change overnight defensively. I didn't expect them to be able to play and have the same success defensively that they had against Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry 
against every single player and every single opponent that they face for the remainder of the season. The Kings are going to have good defensive nights and the Kings are going to have bad defensive nights. They're going to face opponents that have good shooting nights and face opponents that have bad shooting nights. And to be honest, in the first half in this game, the Kings were having a really bad shooting half. They were getting some good looks. Nothing was falling. But defensively, if I am watching a team not try as hard as they should defensively, and that's one of the primary reasons why they're giving up so many points, that's a problem. The Kings gave up a 30-point quarter once against Miami last game. They gave up two right out of the gate. Right out of the gate, they gave out two uh, 30-point quarters in the first and second quarters to Charlotte. Now, of course, things did get better. We'll get to the positives. DeMontis Sabonis. Oh, also, I should mention, De'Aaron Fox suffered a, a, a knee bruise which knocked him out for the remainder remainder of the game or knee soreness, I think is what they said it was or whatever. He banged knees, did not play for the remainder of the game. I think he only played about nine minutes or something like that. Yeah, he played nine minutes exactly. Went two for four with eight points uh, and that was pretty much it. Continued to shoot perfect from the free throw line, went three of three from the line. So he's now been perfect from the line in four straight games. That's great to see. Had one assist. Really didn't really matter what De'Aaron Fox did in this game because he only played nine minutes. Him getting knocked out and the Kings going into halftime down 67 to 52. Yeah, the expectation, not going to lie to you, the expectation was this is a this is a loss to open the road trip. I'm very happy with how the Kings turned it around. Of course, we're going to talk about the great second half in just a second. DeMontis Sabonis, nine points, 16 rebounds, awesome. Seven assists, did a lot of things in this game that I liked. But once again, he fouled out. Second straight game where DeMontis Sabonis fouled out. And here's what I want to talk about when it comes to Sabonis. I think part of the reason why Sabonis is in so much foul trouble early on this season is I think it's Mike Brown's system. I don't think the Sacramento Kings defensively are putting DeMontis Sabonis, who is not a primary defensive player, I don't think they're putting him in the best position to succeed. Now, they're asking more out of him on the defensive end of the floor, which I'm okay with. They should be asking everybody for more defensively. And Sabonis has been has not been known for his defense, has never been really known as a good defensive player over his entire career. It's okay to have expectations from your head coach as a team and as an individual to be better defensively. But in some ways, it looks like with Sabonis playing that five spot on a team that severely lacks rim protection, it almost looks like Sabonis is being asked to kind of bail the Kings out or be the guy to to bear the weight of that himself, especially with four primary perimeter players out there with him in the starting lineup. I guess you could, you could say Harrison Barnes is maybe a little less primary perimeter and more hybrid, but regardless, Harrison Barnes is not going to help you protect the paint, protect the rim very much. So bonus is looked at in a way as, is kind of a defensive anchor for this team. And I don't think that's an optimal position for him. I think that's a position that's going to get him into trouble. He makes silly fouls, but he also makes fouls where I think they're nitpicking what he's trying to do because he's trying to do things that he's not necessarily comfortable with or familiar with on the defensive end of the floor. The offensive fouls, though, like illegal screens and things like that, there's no excuse for that. That's certainly not on Mike Brown. Simonis, you know on offense what a moving screen is and what's not a moving screen and, and what is a charge and what's a blocking foul. So... 
those offensive fouls, those I'm not saying all six of these fouls in the last two games are on Mike Brown's scheme. I'm just saying defensively, I don't think the Kings are putting Sabonis in an optimal position defensively, and I think that's what's resulting in a lot of these fouls and a lot of this foul trouble. However, I don't really know what the solution is. I mean, I think Rashawn Holmes should be a better rim protector than what he is because of his athleticism, but you're not going to play Rashawn Holmes that many. I mean, we we heard about and talked about the possibility of Holmes and Sabonis sharing the floor together. I don't think we've seen that really at any point, and I have no belief that that's going to work, especially on offense. You're not going to sacrifice your offense to have someone who is potentially a better rim protector, even though that's never really been part of Rashawn's game. Like, I, I don't know what the route is for the Kings. I think they could just kind of have to live with this right now and hope that Sabonis figures out how to play the defense that the Kings need from him, how to be that presence on the interior without getting into foul trouble. It's going to kind of be a, 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 a learn by doing situation. And I don't think this is going to be the last time, certainly maybe even in, in the next few games that we see Sabonis foul out. Teams are going right at, right at him. And it does seem like referees are picking on him a little bit, but they certainly have their eyes on where his hands are and where his body is and what he's doing and his positioning. And they're getting him for a lot of some ticky-tack fouls, but a lot of fouls that actually I believe truly are fouls. Except for the foul that fouled him out against Miami. That late whistle blocking foul was ridiculous. All right. Negative stuff out of the way. Spent way too much time after a Kings win talking about the negative. Let's talk about the positive. In the next segment, I'm going to share my four player of the game awards for four very different reasons that I have to hand out. I'll get to those uh, in a little bit, but let's compare really quickly before that the second half numbers to the first half numbers, right? I shared with you that Charlotte shot 60% from the field, 53% from three point range had 22 assists, right? In that first half, second half. Charlotte's shooting percentage goes down to 41%. Three point percentage still pretty high at 42%, but they only shoot two free throws. The Kings did a much better job of not fouling and sending Charlotte to the line in the second half. That made a big difference. That allowed them to develop a rhythm, put together that major run that got them back into the game. I think uh, it was a 27 to 10 run. That's what I have written down, a 27 to 10 run in the third quarter to take the lead for Sacramento. That was huge. Kings also defensively went from giving up two 30-point quarters in the first and second quarters to holding Charlotte to 18 points in the third and 23 points in the fourth quarter. That's f- phenomenal. After giving up 67 points in the first half, to give up 42, sorry, 41 in the second half, that's excellent. This is the Mike Brown adjustment part of his coaching style, part of this season that Kings fans were hoping for. How many times have we seen teams make adjustments against the Kings in half t- at, at, at halftime? Hell, look at the last game. Kings had a big lead on the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat came back with a big third quarter. Like The Kings came back with a big third quarter because of the halftime adjustments that they made. Mike Brown made the most out of that break. Players stepped up, especially with De'Aaron Fox going down and DeMontis Sabonis being in foul trouble. They stepped up when they needed to. This was a really, really good, solid turnaround for the Sacramento Kings. Something worth celebrating. Something to be excited about. Something that suggests that unlike maybe past coaching regimes and no shade, in, I'm not intending to throw any shade here. It's just the reality. Unlike past coaching regime, regimes, Mike Brown and his coaching staff are capable of implementing change, making adjustments, fixing problems mid-game or during a halftime break 
And the Kings have a roster that's capable of hearing those changes and actually executing on those changes. That's a big deal. All right, I got my four player of the game awards to give out. I'm taking the game ball and I'm splitting it into quarters and I'm handing them out. I'll tell you who those four players are after I tell you more about Bet Online, the great sponsor here of the Locked On Kings podcast. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your football and basketball betting all season long. And it's not just professional, the NFL fantastic. The NBA, fantastic. But college football, college basketball getting started. You can bet on everything on betonline.net. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every single game. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every single sport out there. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events. That includes the World Series happening right now. And if you're into kind of some of those niche events, things like MMA, boxing, golf, you can bet on all of that as well. They have fun prop bets uh, and future bets for big games and just regular random games. They have international stuff, so much stuff to bet on. I'm sure it's going to be excellent for the World Cup and Qatar starting soon here. Whatever you are betting on, head to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast. And being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, I'm holding the game ball. Picture I'm holding the game ball, right? I take a butcher's knife. Slice, 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 slice. I'm going to pretend the ball's a cake now. Have you seen those videos where... Is it a cake or is it real? This ball is a cake. I I sliced it into four slices and I'm sharing them amongst four different players that I think deserve the game ball, deserve the play of the game for how the Kings were able to turn this game game around and the second half that they put together. First and foremost, Davion Mitchell. Got to give love to Davion Mitchell because offensively, he's been struggling this season. He's kind of looked lost on that end of the floor. Now, there's a difference between looking lost offensively as a floor general and looking lost offensively as a scorer. And I think he's been looking lost offensively as a scorer. As a floor general, I think Davion Mitchell has for the most part done what Mike Brown and the Kings have asked of him. At any point during these games, have you seen Davion Mitchell come in and replace De'Aaron Fox? I know they've shared uh, time together on the floor at times. That hasn't really been memorable enough to, to talk about or bring up. But when Fox was out and Mitchell was in, Mitchell taking over the primary floor general and point guard duties, have you said, wow, the way this team is playing is a lot different? Maybe their results are different, but I'm talking about specifically the way the team was playing. Now, I know the second unit hasn't been the best. There have been times where the second unit has gone through significant scoring lulls offensively, but it looked like they're still trying to play the same way, which is up-tempo, moving the ball quickly, cutters, pick and roll, inside out, 
That's how they've been trying to play, whether it's Davion Mitchell or De'Aaron Fox on the floor. So Davion has done a good job as a floor general coming in with the second unit, taking over for one of the fastest guards in the NBA and De'Aaron Fox and continuing to play the style that Mike Brown and the Kings want to play. He deserves credit for that, but that's his job, right? But he, when it comes to Davion Mitchell, the scorer, that Davion Mitchell that he he showcased a little bit towards the end of last season when he was playing almost 40 minutes a night at the end of a, a losing season when Fox and Sabonis were out and there was really nothing much to play for other than putting up numbers and kind of, I guess, showing off for next season or trying out for next season in a way. Davion showed the offensive game that he had at that point, but again, we questioned all offseason. How sustainable was that, right? How much of that was really what Davion is capable of being as an NBA player consistently, especially as a role player or a six man, and how much of that was just a guy taking advantage of, of end of season kind of garbage time for lack of a better term opportunities. Even if we did not trust, if if you looked at what Davion did at the end of last season offensively and said, yeah, I know that's not who he is or what he's going to be consistently on the Kings, especially when De'Aaron Fox is playing. Even if that was your mindset, and there were a lot of people like that, you expected Davion to be better offensively as a scorer this season than what he has been. That being said, the first game where his depth is really, truly desperately needed when De'Aaron Fox, the star, and De'Aaron has played like the absolute star of the Kings so far this season. He goes down after playing just nine minutes. Davion Mitchell steps up and gives you 23 points on a super efficient 9-11 shooting from the field. Played 31 minutes in, in this game, and for that 31 minutes was everything you could have asked of him. Turned the ball over a couple times, had three steals, I think he missed only two shots after De'Aaron went out of the game. De'Aaron subbed out and didn't come back in after the 6-19 mark in the second quarter. At that time, Mitchell had 10 points. So Mitchell was already off to a pretty solid start even before De'Aaron had gotten hurt. But Mitchell plays a majority of the remainder of the game, has 12 points over that stretch, and again, only missed two shots during that time and did a good job running the offense. Now, I don't think he had any assists, if I'm not mistaken. Let me bring up the box score, because, of course, you'd like to see that number higher for any point guard. Let's see. Davion Mitchell, yep, zero assists. So that's not great. But again, three steals, did well, moved the ball, took over, had a lot put on his shoulders with De'Aaron Fox going out, and offensively in some major moments stepped up as a scorer. Showed what he's capable of, of doing, even if we want to see more sample sizes from Davion even if we want to see if this is who he can be over the course of a season or game to game to game, we still have to appreciate how in this moment, on this night, Davion was essential towards the Sacramento Kings making that comeback, holding on, and winning that game. Give him a lot of credit for that. So here's your quarter of a game ball, Davion Mitchell. Second quarter goes to Kevin Herter. For the second straight game, Kevin Herter just red hot. 26 points, he finished with 27 points, if I'm not mistaken, in the win against Miami. Went 5 of 10 from three-point range. So Kevin Herter continues to shoot over 50% from three-point range this season. Kevin Herter has just been phenomenal. Also, he's getting his teammates involved. This has been an underrated part of Kevin Herter's game that I wasn't really aware of with his time in Atlanta. A lot of it had to do with the fact that he was playing with guys like Bogdan Bogdanovich and Trey uh, Young both of which are, are good scorers, but also great distributors, great passers. Trey Young, I think, is one of the more underrated passers as a star scoring point guard in the NBA. So I didn't really honestly know that Kevin Herter had this floor general 
getting teammates involved ability to his game. I think a lot of it also happens to be Mike Brown's system, but regardless, Kevin Herter is doing a good job, even when he's scoring, even when he's the hot hand, especially on the perimeter. He's he's doing a really good job finding his teammates. And what's big about Kevin Herter is even though he is supernova hot to start this season from three-point range, like I do not expect 50% to carry out throughout the rain, remainder of the season, although that would be amazing if it did. I do expect mid-40s. But even with him being this hot, you're not seeing him just chuck up shots for the sake of chucking up. We're not seeing heat checks every third shot or fourth shot. It's not Kevin Herter's game. He's shooting within the flow of the offense. And he's hitting big, big shots for the Kings time and time and time again. Not necessarily game winners, not game icers, but shots that stop runs or continue Kings runs or start Kings runs or put a team, uh, quiet a team down or quiet a crowd down when they're getting going and an opposing crowd down. And Kevin Hurd has been that guy for the Kings so far this season. And I said this on Twitter. A lot of me believes it. Part of it is definitely an overreaction, a feeling good overreaction. But truly, like you already know, I think Kings general manager Monty McNair deserves an extension. Like I think he should be extended even with the Kings getting off to their 0-4 start. Definitely should be extended. But the Kevin Herter trade alone, I think is worthy of that extension. Like that Kevin Herter trade looks better and better and better every single day. Not just game day that Kevin Herter trade looks better. You are getting someone who is shooting 50% from three-point range, someone who has arguably been your second most consistent scorer, certainly your second go-to scorer other than De'Aaron Fox so far this season. It's been Kevin Herter, not DeMontis Sabonis. Keegan Murray's kind of right on his heels in some ways too. But I think Kevin Herter has been the guy, the Fox and Herter backcourt has been the main punch of the Kings offense so far this season. You acquired that for Mo Harkless, who struggled offensively, did good things defensively, but didn't really work. Justin Holiday, who I liked, but came over in that Indiana Pacers trade last season and offensively couldn't do anything right, really. Couldn't hit a shot to save his life. And this is what people get hung up on, a draft pick. And I understand that including this draft pick, including a first-round pick in that trade, does kind of lock up Monty McNair's options for trades going forward. I get that. But you're talking about the unknown. You're talking about what's intangible. I'm sorry. You're talking about what there, there's no, there's nothing to it. There's no substance there. We're talking about hypotheticals. Kevin Herter is providing winning basketball right now, but the Kings are two and four. It's not Kevin Herter's fault that the Kings are two and four. The Kings would be 0 and six easily without Kevin Herter at this point in time. He's been instrumental in the two Kings wins so far this season. He did more than enough in game one of the season against Portland for the Kings to be three and three. Kevin Herter has been excellent for the Sacramento Kings. Monty McNair deserves to be extended. Definitely that Kevin Herter trade alone, I would put towards the top of my list. Or if I were presenting my resume as Monty McNair to Vivek Ranadive saying, here's why you should extend me right now. Bullet point two or three would be Kevin Herter trade. I think Monty McNair did an excellent job with that move. Kevin Herter, there's your quarter of the game ball. The final two quarters that I have to give out are maybe a little strange, obscure. And the first one I'm giving out to Matthew Dellavedova. I thought Matthew Dellavedova was a needed medicine for Sacramento in this game. And what I mean by that is Delhi had three points. The only 
shot that he made, you know, the, the shot that he hit was actually the go-ahead three-pointer to put the Kings in the lead during that massive third-quarter run that they went on. But in his eight minutes that he was on the floor, he had three assists, and he was a plus 10. Now, I don't like the plus-minus stat. I think the plus-minus stat unfairly uh, puts negative or sometimes positive uh, connotation behind one player for a team's performance. So it's not just, it's not like Matthew Della Vadova single-handedly led the Kings on a 10-0 run. That's why he's plus 10. It was a team stat. But Della Vadova came in and what the what the plus-minus does show, especially for players who play limited stretches like Delhi did, that they are efficient. They are making a positive impact or a part of a positive impact. And what I love the most about Matthew Della Vadova is you know what you're going to get from Della Vadova effort-wise every single time he plays. And after I started this podcast talking about the effort and uh, defensive effort issues and communication issues that the Kings had in the first half, Matthew Della Vadova comes in with the Aaron Fox getting hurt, brings that defensive intensity, brings that communication, brings that veteran leadership, and I think inspires his teammates to do the same. Even with three points, even in just eight minutes, I think Matthew was instrumental to Sacramento getting that run going, sustaining that run, and ultimately winning this basketball game. Was he on the floor during crunch time? No, he didn't need to be. He made an impact leading by example with the way that he played. He gave the Kings a jolt of defensive energy and focus that this team did not have in the first half. So Matthew Delavadova. There's your quarter of the game ball. And finally, another guy whose stats don't wow you, but did a little bit of everything in this game and and I thought was also instrumental to the Kings winning, Trey Lyles. Trey Lyles, I I thought six minutes, or rather six points, four rebounds, three assists, two blocks, 21 minutes, all over the stat sheet, did a lot of everything for the Kings. He was Mr. Utility Man tonight. He didn't have to hit a ton of shots. He didn't have to be one of the best players on the floor for the Kings to make his impact. And I've seen a lot of people making jokes or, or, or kind of labeling Trey Lyles at times on, on King's Twitter and, and King's social media, like, oh, here's this is going to be the guy that, that frustrates fans because he's going to get a lot of playing time and he's for some reason going to struggle or going to play bad and blah, blah, blah. Like, if, if that's the way you're going to be, and I get there's a player on every single team that fan bases are, are like that. They just become the lightning rod of frustration. I get it. But if you're going to be, if, if Trey Lyles is going to be that guy for you, then you got to show him love and you got to show him appreciation for when he comes in and, and quietly does a lot of the things that you need to win. Trey Lyles did a lot of winning basketball things tonight. I thought without Trey Lyles, I'm not saying the Kings run never happens, but I don't think the run is sustained nearly as much as it was. I thought he provided 21 really efficient minutes really active and involved minutes, and he didn't have to just score the basketball or put up primary stats like rebounding in order to do it as a wing or as a forward. A big. It's like a short big. small. He's like a forward big combo. It's like a 4-5 combo. Mainly plays the four. I thought Trey Lyles did a really, really good job. So final quarter of the ball, there you go. Four quarters for four players of the game. Do you agree with those players of the game? Do you have other players of the game that you want to Split up the game ball even more to, to give them a piece. Let me know at Matt George Sack on Twitter. Email me MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com or leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. 
Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, Keegan Murray doesn't get a game ball from me or a player of the game award for me. At this point, it sounds like a participation trophy with how many I'm giving out. Keegan Murray doesn't get one, but it's not because I thought he had a bad game. It's not because he did bad things. It was nice to see Keegan hit some big shots late, but I I do want to give Keegan some roses here because the last couple of games, I mean, he he put up 22. uh, So I I guess I can't say that Miami game because he put up 22, had an efficient shooting game, missed a lot of open shots in that game. Missed a lot of open shots in this game too. Like he's not hitting and shooting as well as we saw in his first couple of games of the season against the Clippers and the Memphis Grizzlies. Overall, I think Keegan does a really good job of recognizing when to shoot himself through a slump, but not doing so at the detriment of the team. Because you hear shooters, uh, you hear it said when shooters are struggling, hey, just shoot your way through it, shoot your way through it. But a lot of times you see, Shooters not necessarily panic, but it's like, okay, I got to get through this. I got to get a bunch of shots up. The the more shots I get up, the sooner, the quicker I'm out of this slump, right? Keegan Murray's not like that. He had 12 points, 5 of 15 shooting from the field, 2 of 7 from 3-point range. Out of those 15 shots, and I, I don't have a shot chart in front of me, and I didn't look at all the film, and I don't remember all 15 of those shots, I feel pretty confident in saying that 12 of those 15 shots were good looks. Looks within the flow of the offense. Looks that I'll take from Keegan Murray anytime he just was missing. They weren't falling for him. I think that's a very valuable attribute, a very valuable skill to have as a rookie, as a rookie scorer. When you're not, when things aren't going right for you, you don't panic. You don't just start chucking up shots for the sake of chucking up shots. You don't force things. You just continue to shoot, continue to look for good shots, and even if you're not shooting or hitting the majority of them, you will hit big ones like he hit a big three after Kevin Herter hit a big three. The Kings went on a 9-0 run towards the end of this game to retake the lead, and all three were were, were three-pointers. The third shot was a Keegan Murray wide open in rhythm three that he finally got to drop. It touched every part of the rim and then fell in. That right there is more valuable than three or four missed shots that he had earlier on in the game. So I had to give Keegan Murray some roses for that. Overall, things definitely that I'm frustrated with from this game. Love that the Kings were able to turn it around. Love that the Kings found a way to win this on the road. I appreciate the fact that, once again, they didn't allow a big loss to their their star player to dramatically affect them, right? In the adversity that they faced in the Miami game of Sabonis fouling out with like six minutes remaining, didn't allow that to affect them. They overcome that. They lose to Aaron Fox after just nine minutes of playing time in this game. They have to go a whole second half without him when they're already trailing by 15 points or whatever it was to come back and then to lose Sabonis again, still find a way to pull that game out. I appreciate that. That's the depth that I wanted to see from this Kings team. And I give Mike Brown and his coaching staff a ton of credit also for the adjustments that they made in the second half. Now, it's on to Miami again. The Kings and Heat in Miami this time, I guarantee you, guarantee you we're going to see a little bit of an edge from Miami. And hopefully De'Aaron Fox will play in that game. When we get any kind of updates on his status, I'll of course share them for you, whether it's here on Locked on Kings or on my Twitter at Matt George Sack. 
Um, I'm also getting more used to like the community tab and everything on YouTube. So if you're a, a YouTube follower of Locked on Kings, I'll find a way to post De'Aaron's status if I hear anything about that. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And uh, and then you have Orlando and, and Golden State to wrap up this road trip. There's some winnable games out there. It would be great for the Kings to beat Miami and Orlando and go into Golden State suddenly at 500 with a four-game win streak. That would be awesome. One step at a time. One step at a time. I'll be honest with you. If I had to put money on the Miami game, I'm, I'm guessing it's a loss. I think Miami is going to look a little bit different. I think Jimmy Butler is going to be a little bit better. Kyle Lowry a little bit better in that game than they were against uh, the Kings in Sacramento. But, hey, what do I know? We'll have to wait and see. And, of course, whatever happens in that game, that game, the build-up to that game, after that game, the remainder of the season, hopefully the postseason and beyond, Locked on Kings has you covered for everything. Please continue to stay tuned. If you want to leave a review of this podcast, that would be amazing. That helps us out a ton. Go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Hit five stars. You can leave a little custom blurb about why you would encourage others to listen to the podcast. Any notes that you have, suggestions for the podcast, feel free to leave them there as well. Uh, Send me emails if you want to talk to me privately too. Any recommendations you have for the show or just want to chat Kings basketball or basketball in general, send them to me. I love that engagement. I really appreciate your time and support. Can't wait to have you join me on the next episode of Locked on Kings. Until then, my name is Matt George. You have been listening to the Locked on Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.